So, hey, I'm, I'm delighted, and it really is a privilege to study Second Peter with you. This is a three-chapter little book. It begins with the word Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. But despite that statement about authorship, or as a signature at the beginning, and that was typical of a Greek letter, they would sign at the beginning instead of what we do at the end. What do you do when you get a letter? You always look to see who it's from. You want to see on the envelope or on the letterhead uh, where it's from and who sent it. Well, they just go ahead and, and do the obvious. They sign at the beginning. The actual uh, manuscript of the, be- the better manuscripts of the thousands of manuscripts that are copies of copies of copies of the New Testament have Simeon Peter here. That's, that's interesting. Instead of Simon Peter, uh, and by the way, 1 Peter begins with just the word Peter. So some people immediately want to say, well, no, wait a minute. This, this is probably some, some uh, disciple of, G- of Peter. This is probably uh, somebody who's writing synonymously. And uh, that's true. There were letters. Paul uh, 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 mentions that in his letter to the Thessalonians, his second letter, we call it. He mentions that there are letters purporting to be from us, but they're not. And he warns them, be careful. Don't, uh, don't believe everything you read or hear. Uh, there were letters out there that were synonymous. And, and the question is, okay, is it believable? Is it, is it authoritative? Is it somebody or something that we can really put our trust in? Well, Second Peter uh, had the hardest time of probably all the New Testament letters of getting into the canon. Does that surprise you? Uh, it probably should surprise you. Because there's not much in Second Peter that is off the chart, so to speak. There's nothing out there that, that is off the mainstream of the message of the rest of the New Testament. Why was it so long getting into the canon? And when did that happen? Well, frankly, um, Mark has mentioned to you several times in, in my hearing, I think, the Muratorian canon or the Muratorian fragment, dated about 175 A.D., had most of the books that we know of the New Testament canon already listed. That's a hundred years after most of the letters were written. Already gathered into some kind of a canon. Muratorian fragment, it's called. But Second Peter's not there. Uh, First Peter had a little trouble getting into the canon, but Second Peter had a much harder time getting into the canon. Some think it was because of the question of the Petrine uh, authorship or whether or not it was Peter who wrote it. Uh, others wonder if uh, maybe it's because the second chapter of Second Peter is almost identical to the to the book of Jude. Have you noticed that? You may recall, I doubt you do, <laughs> frankly, but you may recall I was here about a year and a half ago, and uh, Mark had given me uh, some advance notice, and he said, "Look, I'm going to be out of town. I want you to to teach the class for me." And we're going to be right at the place where I want you to deal with a synoptic problem. Oh, thank you, Mark. What a joy. My favorite subject in New Testament studies, the synoptic problem. Does anybody in this class remember what the synoptic problem is? It wasn't a problem, was it? <laughs> it wasn't a problem for you. You didn't stay awake that night after I explained it to you. The synoptic problem is basically the question, how do you explain the fact that Matthew, Mark, and Luke 
have so many similarities. In some cases, word for word for word. In other cases, they'll have a paragraph identical, then a totally different paragraph, and then words that are almost verbatim. How do you explain that? Well, typically, Mark is viewed as the prior gospel, meaning the primary or the first to be written. And then Matthew and Luke used Mark... Now, uh, others would argue for Matthew is the first. If I remember correctly, I think that's Mark's uh, preference. It, anybody confirm that with me? I think, I think he may lean that direction. But it's not, a, it, it's not one of those things that's, that's worth really arguing about or, or getting so worked up about. It is a challenge, though. And it does raise questions. And you want to be aware of it and at least know uh, some of the issues. Now, when you come to 2 Peter, you've got 2 Peter and the whole book of Jude. Jude is only one chapter, isn't that right? If you turn over there and look. Uh, Jude is, by the way, after 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. You're going to get there eventually. Uh, Jude has only got one chapter with 25 verses. And if you read it, uh, or if you read 2 Peter chapter 2, whichever you read first, then you read the other one, you're going to think, wait a minute, I just read that. Out of 25 verses, 19 of Jude's verses are duplicated or almost exactly duplicated in 2 Peter chapter 2. So the question is raised. What? What's the question? Who copied whom? (laughs) Who's the plagiarist here? Anybody guilty of plagiarism when you went through high school or college? Oh, I won't get you to raise your hand. Um... We're all guilty to some extent. Mark would say he was guilty because, you know, all of us learn from other people and we gather phrases and words and sentences and sometimes maybe even lift uh, uh, more than that. By the way, I should admit uh, clearly, I want to I say in addition to having written it, at the top of your outline, the summary of Second Peter in the handout, notice those words are exactly even copied from uh, Donald Guthrie's New Testament introduction, which, by the way, is an excellent Really thick, one volume. It used to be printed in three volumes. But you can't, do a, you can't find a better introduction to New Testament. If you really want to get into the issues of canon and authorship and, and the purpose of the writing of the book and who wrote it and all those kind of questions. Now, they don't do, uh, Donald doesn't do that much, or Guthrie, with the content. But he does give you a summary, as in this case, and I thought it was excellent. He basically divides the book into three, the three chapters that are already here. He calls the first chapter after the greeting to true knowledge. He calls the second chapter false knowledge. He calls the third chapter uh, present challenge. I would probably tag that third, challenge, that third chapter more emphasis on uh, eschatology or, or the end of time or the second coming and the judgment, that kind of thing. But uh, let's go back to the, the question of Second Peter and the canon and all the and, the and the Jude relationship and all of that. How do you explain that? Let's go to the Jude thing. You basically have three options here. It seems to me, you can go with the option that Jude wrote his uh, letter first, and then Peter used Jude. Well, who is Jude? He's a half brother of Jesus. He's a he's the full brother of James. So uh, it's certainly legitimate that Jude would have. Uh, valid information. He would have have authority. He would have a a revelation from God and be inspired in his message. 
Would it be wrong to think that Peter, an apostle, an eyewitness of Jesus, would actually take words from Jude and use that? Does that invalidate Peter's message? No, I don't think so at all. In fact, here's a challenge for you. 2 Peter chapter 3, let's go ahead and look over there. 2 Peter chapter 3 has a small section. Um, where is that? My other Bible had it different. I got, it, I got up here with a different one. I'm sorry, 1 Peter. I'm in the wrong. 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. I knew it was the last chapter of one of those two. <laughs> 1 Peter chapter 5 has a section that begins in verse 5. Uh, young men in the same way be submissive to those who are older. And then notice, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. Those words are almost identical word for word out of what? Anybody recognize? James chapter 4. You can go back to James and find those verses. They're almost identical, a little bit different order. If you read down a little further, you'll find still some more words from James chapter 4 that are just, it seems like, lifted by Peter right out of James, which is certainly written very early. Almost everybody agrees that James is very early. And uh, so it's possible that Peter would have used James and he also used James's half, I mean, full brother Jude's writing. That's one option. Another option is to say that Peter was first and then Jude used Peter's writing and it's what we call the second chapter. Is that likely? Well, it's possible. We really don't know. But uh, usually, and this is generally true, I believe, across the board, when you have someone using somebody else's information, rather than shortening that information, they're going to expand that information. And that's exactly what you have in Second Peter chapter 2. You're going to add to it. You're going to, Peter was an eyewitness. Peter knew about what was going on. And in chapter 2 is not about the gospel, uh, the actual events of Jesus' life, teaching, ministry, and all. But it, it, it's still... Is, is okay, I think, to say, well, Peter may have used, it seems like, Jude and then added to it, so he expanded it. He certainly didn't shorten Jude's uh, verses that he used, 19 out of 25. Then the third option would be what? A common document. Uh, in fact, that's part of the suggestion in the synoptic problem is that there was some kind of a common source that we don't have. Some people name it Q. Some people name it something else. But that is an opportunity, that's a, a possible uh, option that Peter and Jude would have used something else that was available, whether it was in writing or whether it was oral tradition. I personally choose the first of those three. I think it makes good sense that Peter not only used James in his first letter, we call First Peter in chapter 5, but he also uses Jude extensively for what we call the second chapter. Uh, he uses Jude for the background of that. Now, that, that thir- certainly doesn't pretend to be a thorough examination of everything involved, but to me, that doesn't take away the value. It doesn't invalidate the, the letter. It doesn't say, okay, look, those, those guys are, are, are somehow or another uh, uh, cheating. They're doing something illegal. No, not at all. Uh, please understand the background Mark has taught you, and that is they didn't have Xerox copy machines. <laughs> They didn't have books like this and like yours. They didn't have 
eight and a half by 11 white paper laying all over the place that they could easily pull out and, and jot with their pens, you know, and, and, and write notes and everything. They had long rolls of papyrus scrolls. They had leather, thick, cumbersome leather scrolls. They had a variety of other ways of trying to communicate. And if they could take a good message that Peter, for example, may have gotten from Jude and, and been inspired to expand a little bit on and, and get that to some more people, then praise be to God. It, it, it's like every sermon I've ever preached. My attitude is, hey, if you want to use this stuff, use it. You know, I had a guy after a recent sermon that, that emailed me and said, man, I love that story you told, but I got to have the details. I'm going to speak tomorrow and I really need it. <laughs> can, can you give that to me? And I, Absolutely, man. I'm glad for you to share it. If it helps, if it helps anybody, please put it to work. You know, I don't have any copywriter patent on any of this stuff. Okay, so that's uh, at least a little bit of the issue. Um, Simeon, by the way, at the beginning, if that raised a question to you when we started out, I mentioned Simeon is there in the, in the first verse instead of Simon. That's just the Hebraic form of Simon, so it's not a big deal. To me, it doesn't, doesn't even raise a question, not even a flag of any kind of alarm. I purpose, personally think that Peter wrote this thing. I think it's the apostle. I don't have any problem with that. Donald Guthrie and many others agree. And, and uh, one of the best commentaries I found on this is Kistemacher is his name, K-I-S-T-E-M-A-K-E-R. And uh, Kistemacher just basically says, hey, you know, it's easier, it's easier to prove and to assume the apostle uh, wrote this, Peter, than it is to disprove it. Now, John Calvin, I'll admit, in the Reformation actually questioned Peter's writing of this and you may say why why does anybody question he's got his name here well let me tell you a few of the reasons okay one of the main reasons is the greek first peter is smooth first peter is polished first peter is well written it's graduate graduate level writing you might say versus second peter second peter is rough second peter is abrupt Second Peter doesn't have the smoothing particles and articles of the Greek language. It's harder to translate. And now you can't tell that in the, in the English. You, you might be able to tell a little bit. But in English, you see this smoothing. You know, we've got all the these, the, the definite articles are there. We've got all the a's. We've got the ands and the buts and the therefores kind of, kind of inserted to make it flow. That's part of the translation process. But if you just had word for word more literal like the American Standard Version of the Bible is, then you'd see it even in the English. Second Peter has 57 words in it that are unique in all the New Testament. Let me say that again. There are 57 words in these three little chapters that you don't find anywhere else in the New Testament. Does that raise a flat? Yeah, I think it does. You know, uh, all of a sudden vocabulary changes. Uh, how do you explain that? I, I really don't have it all worked out. But I'll tell you one of the main keys, Mark hit on it last week. And, uh, you know, he had fun making, uh, correcting the uh, preacher's uh, pronunciation of a Greek word. I'm going to have fun correcting his pronunciation of a Greek word. Uh, you, can, you can tell him, Michelle. Uh, the, the preacher talked about kairos last week. And uh, he kept calling it karios. The Greek word is kairos. Mark is right. But there's a Greek word for the secretary 
that writers of the New Testament used. It's amanuensis. And Mark pronounced it hurriedly last week and made a little bit of an extra syllable in there or something. So I thought I'd have fun with him. Mark is an excellent Greek scholar in Hebrew and so forth. So you know that. But uh, the secretary that Paul used, for example, in his writing to the Romans, it's very clearly in there. His name is what? Does anybody know? Tertius. Tertius is mentioned in the Roman letter. He's the guy who was Paul's secretary. Anybody in here ever ever used a secretary? Come on, raise your hand if you have a secretary. Women have secretaries. Men have secretaries. Okay, I see a few hands, and the rest of you know you have. You just won't raise your hand. Has your secretary ever changed anything you wrote? <laughs> sure they do. They know when you, just like I think Mark mentioned that last week, his secretary, his main assistant, Jan, will smooth and polish and, and help in many ways. Same is true for the secretary helpers who took the dictation in many cases or who actually may have even composed from what they heard Peter preaching in other cases. We don't have a mention of a secretary in 2 Peter, but we do in 1 Peter. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5 again, taking you back to the end of, of 1 Peter just to show you this point. Look at verse 12, 1 Peter 5, 12. With the help of, what's his name? Silas or Silvanus, depending on the translation you're looking at. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. What's the point, Charles? The point is that Peter used a secretary. Paul used a secretary. Other writers of the New Testament used a secretary. It's entirely possible the second Peter used that, that what we call Second Peter has a secretary behind the writing, and that secretary may have chosen some of the vocabulary words, may have uh, been the response, person responsible for the abrupt style and the missing articles and particles and other things that made this a very different letter, seeming to be a different authorship, uh, to have a different authorship than First Peter. All right, there's more to all that, but I, I want to get into the, the, the meat. Okay, so let's go to first Peter, a second Peter, rather, and talk about what we got here. What is the message and what do we need to learn? If you have uh, the handout. uh, Well, no, let's skip the handout for now. Let me go with you to the very end of second Peter. It seems wise to me uh, as a summary that that handout from Donald Guthrie is a great summary But the real summary, I mean really succinct, is down here at the very end of the letter. 2 Peter chapter 3, after you've made it all the way through three chapters, listen to what Peter says in verse 17. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. Okay, watch it. Listen again. Be on your guard that you won't be carried away by the error, the false teaching, the heresy of lawless men. And because of that, what? Fall from your secure position in your relationship to Jesus Christ. But, verse 18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. I'm telling you, that is the beautiful, succinct, very 
tight summary of this whole book. Two points. Two points in this summary. Watch out for false teachers, he says. Be on your guard. Stay alert to what comes at you that is not correct. There will be those who come. And we'll talk about that in chapter 2. And then the second point is, instead of believing and falling uh, vulnerable into their uh, false teaching, instead of that, then I want you to what? I want you to grow positively in your grace, or in the grace of God, and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. By the way, one of the writers uh, of Second Peter one of Peter's favorite phrases is Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He uses the word Savior, I think, five times in here. One of the key words in Second Peter is knowledge. We used it in the, Donald Guthrie uses it in the summary. Chapter 1, largely about true knowledge. Chapter 2, largely about false knowledge or false teaching. The key word is knowledge. You've talked about this before. I know Mark must have covered it with you when you're talking about Colossians. He must have covered it when you were talking about 1 Corinthians and a variety of other places in the New Testament. Why is this word so important? What, 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 what's fascinating about it? The Greek word is gnosis. It's spelled G-N-O-S-I-S. If you transliterate, it looks like G-V-O-N-I-S-I-S. But gnosis, some people call it, no, it's, just leave the G silent, it's gnosis. And from that word comes the name of one of the most one of the most uh, insidious heresies that Christians went up against. What would that be? Gnosticism. You've heard of Gnosticism. If you've been in Mark's class consistently, you've heard about it several times. What was Gnosticism all about? Gnosticism was caught up in a variety of, of, of uh, opinions, I guess you'd say, or teachings. But the one that's at the base of everything that pulled them in the wrong direction was this idea that you can separate right down the middle of life and the world and everything that's in it. You can separate what is spiritual over here and what is material over here. And they would argue that, yes, we have a spirit in each of us that is good, that is eternal, but we also have a body that is bad, that is evil. Now, they would reason from that that Jesus could not have been altogether divine and altogether human. So they would be led into one of two streams of thought. One is that Jesus wasn't really human, he was only divine. Or he wasn't really divine, he was only human. That that may sound, well, who cares? Well, it it matters a great deal. (laughs) Let me tell you, if Jesus is not 100% divine, sinless, pure revelation of Jesus, a revelation revelation of God Himself, He cannot be my Savior. He cannot be what He claimed to be. If He was not 100% human, sinless, man who understands where I walk and live and struggle, He cannot be the sin sacrifice for me. He needs to be both. And, And it's hard for us to wrap our little brains around that idea, but the Gnostics decided, well, he can't be both. And one of the spinoffs of their attitude about this division of the spirit and the, and the uh, physical was that uh, it doesn't matter what you do with your body because it's just evil anyway. So it really leads off into a libertinistic, that's a good word, I think, or libertinism, which allows a permissiveness that allows you, even as a Christian, to do just about anything you please. 
Go participate in an orgy if you please. Just just continue to live your life as a Corinthian involved in prostitute uh, immorality. Just just go ahead because it doesn't really matter. It's just your body anyway. It's not your spirit. Now, your spirit, on the other hand, will be saved by your knowledge. Ever heard this? Does this sound familiar? (laughs) Why, sure it does. There are preachers even today who are blatant about telling you it's what you know, it's not what you do or how you live. Knowledge, let me tell you people, knowledge, head knowledge cannot save you. And even performance of what you think might come close to perfection in performance of good deeds cannot save you. But for sure, what you learn in your head, memorize, maybe you know everything about God's Word. I doubt it, but maybe you know an awful lot. It won't save you. It won't, it won't pull you up to an elitism kind of a, a level where you have a hotline to God any better than anybody else. Uh, the Gnostics were really, really off base on a lot of this stuff. Are we dealing with Gnosticism in Second Peter? I don't know. Are we dealing with what may be incipient, the beginning stages of Gnosticism? I say Probably. Because there is such a heavy emphasis on knowledge. Peter says in the first chapter here, I want you to get your knowledge right. Now, knowing a a bunch of facts is different from knowing a person. I think Peter is talking about both here. Uh, He wants us to know the truth. He wants us to know the, capital T, truth, that is Jesus Christ. Let's just read a couple of verses. Verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, and to knowledge, and to goodness, what? Knowledge. Okay, back up to uh, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by by His own glory and goodness. And later on, just very quickly, we have... Uh, verse 2, I'm backing up now. Verse 2, grace and, grace and peace to your, be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Five times in these few verses, we have this strong emphasis on knowledge. What is Peter saying? He's saying, you need to know clearly the Savior. And you need to know the truth about Him who he was, what he did, and how that impacts your life. So what is that, how does that uh, show effect in your life? In this first chapter, if you have that strong base of knowledge, and by the way, how do you get that? How do you get that? It's pretty clear. It's, it's pretty clear. You just need to get your head into God's Word. It's a whole bunch better than everything else that's being offered uh, piped into your home <laughs> and, and, and printed and left on your driveway <laughs> and, and, and pumped through the cable or however you get your internet service. <laughs> I'm telling you, the knowledge that you need every single day on a regular basis, just as regularly as you need food and fuel for your body, is God's Word. So find a way and find a time. I know Mark talks about that. And it's, it's so important. But what happens when you get that good base of knowledge from God's Word and from personal daily devotional time? What happens? Well, you develop the virtues. Look at these virtues. I started a while ago in verse 5. You develop, you start with faith, you develop goodness. Then you add knowledge. And then you add what? Self-control. That was an important virtue in the Greek world. And by the way, where is Peter writing this letter? 
If Peter writes it, and I believe he is, where is he writing it? Nowhere in these three chapters are we told where the recipients are. But we do, but we do have a mention at the beginning of chapter 3. Peter says, hey, this is my second letter to you. I, I've already written to you once, and where were you when I wrote that first letter? Where, where was that? Well, Mark told you last week. If this is a reference to 1 Peter, and many believe it is, some believe it's not, and they'll argue all kinds of ways, but I believe it is. And if it is, then the beginning of 1 Peter will tell you where those people are. Basically, it's Asia Minor. It's what we call Turkey now. And it's the northern part of Asia Minor. It's, it's an area that was known for uh, Paul's work. Paul had worked there, but Peter had also worked there. And by the way, Peter traveled outside of Jerusalem. Uh, we know for sure he was in Corinth. We, we know for sure that he made it to Rome. All indications are that. And, as Mark mentioned last week, Peter probably ended his life or was terminated during the Nero persecution or Neronian persecution in the late 60s A.D. So probably around 68. And if that's true, and if, per, and if Peter wrote Second Peter, then this letter is probably written close to his death. What does he say in chapter 1? Look at, uh, uh, look at verse 13. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. By the way, does that sound familiar? If you read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, or chapter 4 and 5, it's identical to the idea that, that Paul writes there. And then he adds, Because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Jesus told Peter about his death before it happened and before Peter probably even thought that much about it. You can find the conversation clearly in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 21. We won't take time to turn back there, but it's fascinating that uh, in this conversation where I think the goal that Jesus has in the conversation is to say, Peter, you denied me three times, but I love you anyway. I'm not going to give up on you, buddy. I am praying for you, as he said earlier, that Satan will not take you down. That your faith will not die. And I'm just going to ask you three times, as Jesus does, do you love my sheep or do you love me? And then he says, go feed my sheep three times. At the end of that conversation where I believe Jesus is simply testing Peter to say, are you receiving my love and are you ready to get busy because of that? At the end of that, Jesus says, Peter, when you were young, you dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted to go. But one of these days you're going to be old and you'll have to have others help dress you. And uh, you're going to spread your arms out and uh, you're going to go where you don't want to go. That's all he said. But uh, interpreters down through the ages have, uh, because of extra extra biblical literature, uh, understood that to be a reference to the fact that Peter eventually was killed by crucifixion upside down with his arms spread upside down. Legend has it, and I don't know if it's true or not, that Peter chose the upside down position because he said, I'm not worthy to die as my Lord did, right side up. You know, I wanted to start this and I forgot with my favorite Peter story. I'm going to pause now and do that. Mark mentioned several Peter stories last week and, and you can just all of us have our favorites you know I mean why do we love Peter because he's so much like us 
What is it about Peter that makes him so approachable? Well, (laughs) he's stupid. (laughs) He makes dumb mistakes. He keeps putting both feet in his mouth and he can't seem to get them out. Peter is just so much like us. He's impulsive. He, he, He jumps when he should stand still. He talks when he ought to be quiet. He acts when he needs to just watch. But on that one occasion, my favorite moment for Peter, I just rejoiced with him. Uh, Jesus had been teaching this big crowd of people. In fact, in John chapter 6, he fed them. 5,000 of those people he fed with a little boy's lunch. You remember the story? Now, at the end of that feeding, Jesus taught those people. And he taught them according to John 6 about some things that were very hard to understand. He's talking about what some might have thought was actually cannibalism. Jesus never taught cannibalism. He certainly didn't advocate that anybody eat human flesh or drink human blood. But if you just, on the surface, just read those verses toward the end, the last half of John chapter 6, as some of those people heard the words, they might have thought, that's what he's talking about, and they thought, whoa, man, alive. This is crazy. I'm not doing this. I may have been pagan, but I'm not doing that. They just didn't understand that Jesus was alluding to what now we call the Lord's Supper, the communion, the eating the bread, which symbolizes the flesh, the body of Jesus, and drinking the cup, the fruit of the vine, the wine, which symbolizes the blood of Jesus. I believe that. But bunches of those people turned and walked away from Jesus after his teaching about the the, the body and the blood. And Jesus turns to his apostles and he says, are you going to leave too? It's one of those poignant moments, I believe, where these guys are just kind of watching Jesus and watching the crowd and and not sure what's going on and they're trying to figure out. and, And they don't know what Jesus means by these words because they very often misunderstood. They didn't get it at all. And and at this point, Jesus turns right to them and eyeball to eyeball. He says, you guys going to do like these people? Are you going to walk away? And Peter gave the perfect answer. Now, so often Peter had the wrong answer. But this is the moment when Peter got it right. If there was ever a time when Peter could say, Ah, thank you, Lord. (laughs) I got it right. This was it. What did he say? He said, Where would we go? If we left you, Jesus, where would we go? You and you alone have the words of eternal life. In other words, and here's my my clear appeal to you. People, you may not understand everything that Jesus says to you. You may not know that, that, that... all the analytical details and and be able to explain all the the interpretation that you might like to be able to explain. You may not be able to answer all the the questions of the critics and the skeptics and the atheists, but where else are you going to go? Where else are you going to turn? Because Jesus has the words of eternal life. And so I applaud Peter when he got that right in John 6. Of course, a few chapters later, he's saying, I don't know him. No, I don't know him. Well, no, blankety-blank-blank, I don't know him. When he's trying to save his own skin. Just like us. Peter, the failure. Peter, the disappointment. Peter, the human, fearful, weakling. Thank God, Peter 
the forgiven. Peter the empowered by the Holy Spirit with a message on Acts in Acts chapter 2. Peter in prison released in Acts chapter 12 miraculously. Peter with a message that is burning in his heart that has to be revealed to anybody who will listen that this Jesus, this Jesus who was crucified on the cross so real to us this morning in the assembly, this Jesus left an empty tomb and He is alive and well and He came back and talked to me and told me I'm forgiven even when I denied that I knew Him three times in a row. That's Peter and he's got a message. He says, don't you settle for anything less than Jesus and the truth about Jesus. I'm going to keep reminding you, he says, I'm going to do my best to give you all that you need. Verse 15, I'm going to make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Some think that's a direct reference to Peter's dictation, if it was a dictation, or record of his memories that's recorded in what gospel? The gospel of Mark. Some think that this verse 15 is a direct reference to the Gospel of Mark because John Mark is mentioned by Peter in the end of chapter of first, first Peter, the last chapter, as his special companion. And Mark really was more like a secretary for Peter when he wrote that Gospel, I believe, than he was as an eyewitness for himself. Okay, I've got to skip over to chapter 2. No, I've got to quit. I'm sorry. I could go for days, huh? Uh, maybe Mark will invite me back to do chapter 2 and 3. We already did a good part of chapter 2. But let me just say two words about chapter 3, and then i got to shut up. I'm sorry, I went over. A chapter 2, or chapter 3 rather, has a powerful statement about the end of this world. And if you're wondering what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, read chapter 3. If you're wondering about uh, is there going to be judgment on sins, read chapter 2. If you're wondering about what God's going to do to the heretics, read chapter 2. By the way, how do you know a heretic? By his life. How do you know a false teacher? By his immorality. By his greed. By his uh, arrogance. By his uh, uh, self-righteousness. You're going to know, just like Jesus said, by the fruit of the tree. You're going to know the tree and what kind of tree it is. That's basically the message of chapter 2. You're going to know the false teacher by his life. Chapter 3 You better get ready for the second coming. He's coming. And those false teachers are scoffing and they're saying he's not coming. And it's been too long and he's he's not coming back. Peter says, he's coming back. With the Lord, a thousand years is as a day and a day is a thousand years. He's not on the same wristwatch you're on. He's not using the same calendar. He'll get back exactly when he ought to get back. He'll be back here. And when he comes, there's going to be a whole, whole different thing happening here than you've ever seen. It's going to be the melting of the elements. It's going to be heaven and earth burned. By the way, a key element in both 1 Peter and 2 Peter is the mention of the flood and the punishment of those evil people and Noah having been saved out of that. But then at the end of uh, 2 Peter, that wonderful passage where Peter, who was corrected by Paul according to Galatians chapter 2, Peter cites Paul and says, Our dear brother Paul... Dear Brother Paul, some of his writings, by the way, are hard to understand. Paul probably could have said that about, about Peter too. But, you know, his, his teachings, are, his writings are a little bit hard to understand. And there are people who distort them to their own destruction. But you be careful that you stay away from false teachers and that you don't fall out of your secure position in the grace of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? God, take these words, not mine, but Peter's.
and plant them deeply in our hearts after we've been so moved and so touched by the assembly this morning and, and the reminder of the cross and what it means and, and, and just the, the challenge of living for you every day, pure and clean before you, Father. We, we are like Peter. We are denying too many times that we even know you. We need your forgiveness. We need, Father, that hand on our shoulder that says, I'm praying for you. And we need this reminder of being careful about what we swallow and, and what we act on. Please, Father, build into us by your Spirit the goodness and the knowledge and the self-control and the perseverance and, and the, the brotherly kindness and the love. Father, at the base of all that, the knowledge of Jesus Himself, not just the knowledge about Him, but the knowledge of Him personally. May He live in us by faith. We pray through His name, Jesus, our Savior, our Lord. Amen.